The following is a CA original. Pouncer, the Palm Squad. Pre- and post-game parties on Beale Street. It's all part of the Memphis Tigers basketball game day experience. This is the Tiger Basketball Podcast. What's happening, Tiger basketball fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Basketball Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato. Commercial Appeal Sports columnist, I'm joined, as always, by Jason Munns, our Tiger basketball beat writer at the Commercial Appeal. We are coming to you less than a week away from the beginning of the 2022-2023 Memphis basketball regular season. Tigers will take on Vanderbilt in Nashville uh, November 7th, Monday, um, at 7 o'clock. Um, should be a, the start of a daunting non-conference schedule, but also an exciting one. Um, we've got a lot to get to. Tigers finished off their exhibition game uh, schedule with a win over Lane College, the Andre Turner-led Lane College, uh, this past weekend. We've got some updates on the Demaria Franklin situation. Will he or won't he be available, or when will he be available for the Tigers? And, you know, we got to look ahead to that Vandy game. It's a big game. And also just the season in general, now that it is finally here for this older but still nonetheless new look Memphis basketball team. Munns, let's start with the exhibition game and expand from there. Tigers looked a lot better against Lane. I believe they won 96-62. Kendrick Davis did not play. Uh, due to some ankle issues, but Penny termed it as uh, more a precautionary measure. Fully expects him to be ready for the Vanderbilt game, but uh, it was an encur- it was a much more encouraging effort or performance, I should say, than the Christian Brothers game. Even though the Tigers struggled to shoot again, what did you take away from this final exhibition game and just the exhibition season in general? What did you, what do you think you learned about this group? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, really the fact that they did struggle still from uh, a shooting standpoint, you know, I think they were what four for 20 from, uh, from, from beyond the arc. Uh, The fact that they still shot just 20% from three and put up 96 points. I mean, you know, you take everything in an exhibition setting with a grain of salt, but uh, that's that's encouraging. I think, um, you know, I, I outside of the three point shooting struggles, it was probably the most. You know, it was a very complete performance. They they rebounded the ball at a very uh, high clip. Um, you know, they, they, they handled their business. I mean, they shot 60% from the free throw line, but when they got to, the, I think they got to the free throw line. I don't have a number in front of me, but it was a lot. They, they, they shot a lot of free throws. And so, um, you know, 60% of a lot still pretty good. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it just, and they looked pretty good defensively. Uh, I thought uh, forced quite a few turnovers. Now they committed quite a few turnovers themselves. I think they finished with 17 turnovers so that's not great but they forced 18 so you know you can kind of live with it um but yeah no i i thought overall it was it was encouraging especially given kendrick davis's absence and there were you know some some 
a few things here and there that, that kind of got overlooked uh, that, that are worth pointing out. DeAndre Williams um, did not commit a single foul. Or he, let me, let me take that back. He wasn't whistled for a single foul. And that is, uh, that is, that is, that's good. I mean, yeah. Kendrick Davis, Kendrick, Kendrick Davis said it during AAC media day, or he at least hinted at the fact that, uh, they were going to lean on DeAndre to play a little bit, you know, smarter and, and, and more composed, um, this season because they're going to need him on the floor as much as possible. And, uh, and he did that. Um, so, and, and, you know, there were some other encouraging things. I thought uh, Chandler Lawson, Jonathan Lawson, Malcolm Dandridge, some guys who are going to be, you know, they're, they're, they may not, you know, they may not need those types of guys to be studs every night this season, but they're going to need them to be steady. And, uh, you know, yeah, steady contributors, and they were. So, uh, yeah, overall um, encouraging, I thought. Yeah, I thought the bigs played well. Um, Whether it was Malcolm had a good game, DeAndre looked good in a lead role with Kendrick not playing, Uh, Chandler Lawson looked pretty good too, very reliable, and then KO had seven blocks um, and looked – you know, really athletic and like a, you know, a defensive menace out there with his energy and his shot blocking. Um, it'll be interesting. Like this whole thing is, you know, it, it's very interesting top to bottom because unlike previous Penny Hardaway teams here at Memphis, while they did have these ballyhooed freshmen, whether it was last year, 2019, because they were freshmen, there wasn't as established of a pecking order. Whereas with this team, it's very clear Kendrick Davis is your n- number one guy and DeAndre Williams is your number two guy. I mean, even this week, to underscore that, CBS Sports came out with their top 101 players in the country this season. Memphis had two in the top 50. Kendrick Davis at number nine, DeAndre Williams at number 47. Um For context, Houston, for instance, had four in the top 100, but only one in the top 50 um, in Marcus Sasser. But so but figuring out that pecking order beneath those two is going to be really, really interesting and how you deploy all those people beneath them, because. You know, like, just look at the interior. Like, if you're presuming DeAndre is your starting four, well, like, at the five position, it feels like, to me, Penny has three options that all are kind of compelling in their own way, but also kind of nerve-wracking in their own way. You've got Malcolm Dandridge, who offensively seems to be the best option of the three bigs, the three fives, um, but might be the most inconsistent or might be the most... You know, you don't know what you're going to get from game-to-game player of the three. You've got Chandler Lawson, whose ceiling is probably lower than the uh, the other two options, but might be the most reliable in terms of, okay, I know what I'm going to get from a game-to-game basis. And then KO feels like he's the most, he's got the highest ceiling defensively. He really brings a dimension defensively that they don't really have anywhere else on the roster. And so I think all three of them are going to play, but it's going to be fascinating how they are deployed. Same goes for the supporting cast on the perimeter and elsewhere. You know, you've got 
Keontae Kennedy, you've got Elijah McCadden, you've got Jaden Hardaway, you've got Alex Lomax, and then, oh, by the way, and I thought this was the most interesting part of the, the exhibition game, was what Penny said afterwards when I asked him who's the third best player on this team, and he said pretty unequivocally, based on practice, it's Demaria Franklin. And Demaria Franklin, we don't know if he's going to be available at all this season, it certainly seems like he's not going to be available for this season opener. It'd take a, a big change of events for that to occur. But at the very least, you know, his status is in doubt because of this eligibility issue. I, I just found that it was both intriguing because it the way Penny talked about Demaria Franklin sounded a lot like the way he was talking about DeAndre Williams two years ago when, member DeAndre missed the first seven games of the season sorting out his eligibility because Evansville was making it more difficult than it needed to be. And then when he came, when he joined the team, you know, the team made a lot more sense. You know, everything kind of came together much better. And the way Penny's talking about Demarie Franklin felt very similar. I don't know. What did you think? No, yeah, same exact deal. Um, in terms of what, in terms of, in terms of how that particular player completes the full, you know, puzzle. I mean, it wasn't that Memphis, you know, it wasn't that Memphis was necessarily bad without DeAndre Williams. And I mean, you know, they were, they were what, 500 or so through those first seven games, give or take, uh, four and three, something maybe, something like that. But, um, but yeah, it, it just, he's not, he, he didn't draw that comparison necessarily. He didn't make that connection himself. Penny didn't, but, uh, but it, but it was it was it was very reminiscent of the way he spoke about DeAndre Williams two years ago. Just how you know they've been preparing uh, for you know a, a certain amount of time, thinking that he was going to be on the floor, and when he wasn't, things were just a little bit more disjointed than they were in practice and things like that. And that's that does sound like the way it is with Demaria Franklin that 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 he does a lot of things like the natural order of things just just is is much more um synergetic with Demarie Franklin synergetic is, is that, that a is word that, I don't know I'm going to look it up it? now you can keep talking well you know it's uh but if it's not you get the point right it's uh, it is a, a word of- dictionary dot it's it's a word months i stand corrected Woo-hoo. it's a word a lot more synergetic with Demarie Franklin uh, in the mix for the Tigers. Um, yeah, it just it just feels like, at least in Penny's mind, everything sort of falls into place the way it's supposed to with him on the floor. He he, almost like he'll make everybody else better, um, and mm-hmm. he gives them he gives them something. Well, he de- he need. described him basically as their second best shot creator and. As good as Alex Lomax defensively on the perimeter. That's how he I mean, talked about him. What does that what does that say to you? I mean, Alex Lomax is a really, really good defender. Uh, if you get another guy who's at least that good, that that's that that I mean, you know, like that that could be that could be something else, man. Yeah, no, I think the the I mean, honestly, the big question heading into the season now is when does when is he available? Is he available, and when is he, when is he available? 
because the reality is, let's say it's like DeAndre Williams, who missed the first seven games two years ago. I mean, that means that means Demarie Franklin, let's say he misses seven games. That means he's missing the Vanderbilt game, the St. Louis game, the VCU game, the tournament, um, the tournament and the tournament over uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, you know, like that, that would, that, that's, that's a, that's a good chunk of that, you know, non-conference schedule. And if he's, you know, if he misses the first month of the season first and within the first six weeks of the season, you also have Ole Miss, Auburn, Alabama, and A&M. Basically, you know, aside from the Houston games, your toughest games on the schedule. Um, so it's a very, uh, you hope he gets cleared because I, I, I've kind of maintained the whole time. It feels like to me he gamed the system, the new system, to his benefit, and I don't think he should be punished for that. Like it's he's you know he it seems like he outmaneuvered UIC by declaring he was gonna you know stay on campus for a semester. And graduate early, so he or graduate, so he could be a grad transfer, and then they took away his scholarship because he said he would do that. And like, it's not your traditional runoff, but it just feels like he outsmarted them. But it, you can, why don't you update our listeners on what the latest is as of you know recording this Wednesday afternoon? But it sounds like they, you know, UIC is not budging here. They're not going to sign the document that says he was run off. And so now Memphis is going the waiver route, which, again, that's what DeAndre Williams had to do two years ago. He missed the first seven games. That's what Lance Thomas went through once upon a time and didn't get approved, if you recall. Um, so, And Penny described it as kind of a coin flip at this point, um, whether they have him eligible at the start of the year. My gut tells me it's more less than a coin flip whether they have like I don't think he's gonna it seems to me that he's not gonna play against Vanderbilt this is not gonna get settled by then but what is the latest that you've been hearing on the Demarie Franklin front in terms of the actual mechanics of this waiver request and and how he's how they're trying to get him eligible yeah so when I started uh kind of pursuing this story a few weeks ago it, it was you know there was some talk uh sort of off the record about you know what what they would have to do, what they were preparing to do in the event that UIC did not um, did not relent in their in their uh, stance to to this whole uh, to this whole situation, and and that that uh, action that they were preparing to take was to apply to the NCAA through the traditional um, waiver request uh, channel. Uh, to, to get him eligible immediately, and they were going to cite um, uh, his mental health. They were going to apply for a mental health waiver. And, you know, I, I, I talked to um, Demare's dad, Johnny Franklin, uh, last week. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon. I talked to him late last week. And, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff was, was you know, sort of just, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily ready to go uh, to go on the record with it, but um, you know, he, he, what I was what I was told is that during the season last during the last season when when Demarier was at UIC, uh, uh, he lost a relative, um, and it was a relative that he was very close with, 
And in in the in in the aftermath of that, he uh, and, and I think even before that, um, he started seeing or he was seeing a therapist to help him through, you know, some of his some of his issues, and to to the to the point where he uh, to the point where he even was uh, there was like a, uh, he has a dog um, with him. If you follow him on Instagram, he posts pictures of the dog every so often and um it's for social anxiety and so uh that's what that's that's according to johnny franklin in conversations that i've had with him and so uh you know there seems to be a lot there there's a lot of documentation that goes back a long time that you know memphis has been in the process of gathering and it's a it's this is one of those things you know a lot of people I, I put this news out there on um, in, in the text group text that uh, that I have uh, Tuesday morning that Memphis was going to apply for the mental health waiver either Tuesday or Wednesday. And, you know, I got a lot of people kind of coming back being like, well, why'd they wait so long? And it's like, you know, I get that to a certain extent, but you also got to understand that this is one of those things you only get kind of one shot at it. And being as late as it is, you want to be very meticulous and make sure all your I's are dotted and T's are crossed so that you don't get further behind the ball than you already are. Um, you know, and you got to keep in mind that the Barrier Franklin didn't even commit until August 29th, didn't even commit mm-hmm. to Memphis until August 29th, much less signed. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have a clear picture of exactly when his, you know, paperwork, uh, his transfer paperwork went through. So it could, you know, like you're looking at probably at least a few days after August 29th that he actually signed. And so uh, this has all been a lot that's been going on in the last two months. And, uh, you know, so you can kind of hopefully that that gives people a little bit better understanding of why, uh, uh, you know, Memphis waited so long to formally submit their application to the NCAA. And the other thing was, is they were to a certain extent holding out hope that UIC would, would, uh, would do the right thing in in the in, in Penny's words, and once it became apparent in the last week or so that they weren't going to do that, uh, that's when they that's when they you know kicked it into overdrive and and got this uh, got this waiver process started. Well, it will be interesting till he's until he's available, if he's available, when he's available. They're they're left with what we've seen in the exhibition season. My gut tells me, if I had to guess. Who's gonna be the th- who we who who we gonna who's gonna be the third best player if Demarie Franklin is not available? My money is on Keontae Kennedy. I was encouraged. Like he can create his shot to a certain extent. He got decent looks in the and he didn't knock down a ton of outside shots, neither did the whole team. But it feels like, at least initially, I think his performance is going to be crucial for this team, him getting adjusted really quick to new environments because he seems like the one with the greatest potential out of the others on the roster to give you that, you know, sort of third scoring punch, if that makes sense. What what do you, what do you think? Yeah. I'll give you one. Mm -hmm. What do you think about Malcolm Dandridge? I mean, if the version of Malcolm Dandridge who showed up in the Gonzaga NCAA tournament game and in the scrimmage, you know, scrimmage, the exhibition game the other day shows up, sure. Yeah, I, I could see it. Um, but the prop Malcolm's been so inconsistent his entire career 
that it feels it feels like if he is the third best player on the team, uh, either he's made a giant leap going into his fourth year of college, right? Or no, I feel like I, I don't know if giant. Like, I would say he turned a corner. He, he turned a he, corner, sure. Yeah. Or it means the team's not as good as we thought. Because like I like I don't know. I don't. I I trust. I think Malcolm is a nice player. Um. I just don't. He's got to prove it to me that I can trust him to do it on a night to night basis. Um, that's you know, been the like, problem. I'll, I'll, and I'll maybe that's that. maybe that's the difference between him and Keontae Kennedy is like I just haven't seen Keontae Kennedy as much as Malcolm, and yeah. so I'm willing to put a little more faith in him than necessarily Malcolm Dandridge. But no, offensively, I think like I said earlier, I think he gives you in terms of their five spot. I think he gives you the most uh, offensively. Um, but is he going to bring it on a game-to-game basis is the big question. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I fully am, am right there with you. If he is dialed in, if Malcolm Dandridge is dialed in and properly motivated and, and feels good physically, um, then, then you know, I, I, I have said this from day one that he – his ability to his hands are 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 really really good for a big man. Um, he doesn't. He's a good I passer. Mean, yeah, oh yeah. He sees the floor very well. He scores it well. Like if you know, I mean, you know, if if he, I don't know, he rebounds the ball fine. He doesn't rebound it as well as a traditional big man. I wouldn't say, but like that's that's okay. Um, when you've got guys like Keontae, you know. Keontae Kennedy uh, averaged six rebounds a game in two seasons at UTEP, so like he can. Did, did you, know, you know on a team devoid of shooting? It appears, aside from Kendrick Davis, I looked this up. He only shot thirty-two percent from three-point range. Keontae Kennedy at at uh, UTEP, UTEP last year, but in five of his last ten games of the season, he hit three or more three-pointers in a game. So yeah, I mean, um, there's some possibilities there. Me, me, my, my uh, contention for Malcolm is no knock on Keontae Kennedy. He, I, I believe he's going to be an integral part of this, uh, of this team all the way through the season. But I just think that, I just think that Malcolm, um, you know, the potential is there. The potential, like, just because yeah. he hasn't realized it necessarily yet, doesn't mean it's gone away. Yeah. No, I mean, listen, this is like potentially, I guess he technically probably has another year after this because of COVID. Right. Um, yeah. But hey, it's his senior year. I mean, maybe, maybe this is the year he puts it all together. It'd be nice. They need it, I think. Um, for sure. it, it'd be very helpful for them. All right. Let's expand this out, Muns, because we're about to start another season. The program has, it's an interesting dynamic going on with the program right now because, in one way, it has, you know, Pretty good momentum in the sense that you're coming off your first NCAA tournament berth since 2014. You won a tournament game. Um, and then this offseason, you get the number one transfer in the country. And then this fall, you you escape the clutches of the NCAA pretty much unscathed to the surprise of a lot of people. Um, and so in that way, there's some incredible momentum for the program. In other ways, this feels like the least talked about season since Penny Hardaway became head coach at Memphis in terms of the preseason hype. Um, and maybe some of that is by design. You know, I think we've seen a much more 
low-key Penny Hardaway this offseason. You know, Pro Day wasn't open to the to the media. And, you know, there's just the way he's talking is much more. It's not they're not respecting us. It's we have a lot to prove. Um, yep. And so I think part of it is just I think that's kind of what Penny is was it's trying to create an atmosphere where there isn't quite as much hype as there was previously, but there doesn't appear to be a ton of buzz going into the season, but I will, my, my gut tells me if they go out and win these first two road games at Vandy at St. Louis, that home opener, there'll be plenty of buzz and maybe they'll even be ranked to be honest. That's how good the schedule is and how, you know, I think St. Louis is a good team, and I think Vanderbilt is going to be a decent team. But regardless, what what do you make of that, Munns, going into this season? Just the buzz or lack thereof uh, that you've sensed in the, uh, in the uh, community? Well, I mean, comparing it to um, every other season under... No Memphis uh, Madness, by the way, either. I forgot to mention uh, that. <laughs> like, I don't even think it's close uh, that, uh, that it's... That it's uh, you know, that it doesn't compare to any other season of, the, of his era, of his tenure. Um, not even close. And, and I, but I do think that, you know, I, I do, I've said this for a while now, I do think it's by design. I don't, I, and I think part of it is, is the NCAA stuff. Like you don't want to get, you don't want to get, you don't want to get too high on the horse or high on the hog, I guess is the proper uh cliche um with that hanging over your head right because like what if what if the avalanche hits and you've been you've been talking all this all this stuff and then it's like well where do we go now like it's so i think that there that that played a part in it i also think that um maybe some of the in years past some of it was done to help motivate the youngsters that were a big part of the uh, of the program. I mean, I, I, I think that you know sometimes Penny might have felt that that he needed to ballyhoo like that. That was all these guys were used to, you know, like was hype. Like they, mm-hmm. they hype was speaking their language, right? And so, like, uh, I, I think that that was um, you know his way of sort of trying to get these guys properly motivated, right? Uh, you know, a lot of them aren't, aren't going to be in college for very long. And so we got to do something to get them excited about playing in college. Uh, and, and, you know, this is much different. You've got a, a, a much different um, roster of, you know, chock full of veterans and transfers and things like that. And you don't necessarily, you might not need that sort of thing to get them motivated. Like they get it. They don't, they don't need uh, all this, all this hype and all this whatever to, uh, to, to get them, to get them up for, uh, for, for the games. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know, like I could be way off, but that's just my take. Yeah, no, it's, it does seem like there is a more, uh, I don't know, reserved demeanor and it's probably a function of, you know, none of these guys, what, like, none of these guys were ballyhooed recruits coming out of high school. I mean, whether it was even Kendrick Davis, like he was like an okay recruit, you know, and, you know, but like none of them, like no one on this roster at any point in their career was like some big, big time recruit. And um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. 
uh, either. Um, right. And it's just, uh, I mean, it is kind of fascinating. This, I think it's going to be a storyline that gets talked about as the season moves along. None of these guys who Penny brought in, and let's presume, you know, like the reality is Kendrick Davis is going to be a major part of, your, you know, the biggest piece on your team. He's new here. It feels like whether they start or not, Keontae Kennedy and, La- and Elijah McCadden are going to be big parts of your team this year. Um, KO feels like he's going to be a pretty big part of your team. If Demarie Franklin is eligible, he's going to be a big part of your team. None of those guys have been to the NCAA tournament. None of these guys they brought in, these older guys, have been to the NCAA tournament before. Um, and so I think there's going to be something there that is going to bring them together as a group. Like there's something there that just is, it's going to be, it's going to be easier to bring this group together than previous Penny Hardaway teams. I think because of that, you know, they're older and for a lot of them, it's like their last shot. You know what I mean? Like who knows? Like there's nothing promised after this season, for Elijah McCadden and Kendrick Davis. Like, I'm sure Kendrick Davis is going to play professionally, but it's not like he's a guaranteed NBA player. There is no player on this roster who's, like, no doubt going to be in the NBA. Like, their their best days are in front of them, you know? Like, there's no one on this, this roster that's like that. Everyone, you know, for a lot of them, this could be the pinnacle. If they can get, you know, if they can go to the NCAA tournament with Memphis, in their final year of college. And I think, I think that'll be a refreshing dynamic. Um, It's not necessarily one you want every year as a program, but I think it's going to be a nice mix for Memphis this season. That's my, that's my gut feeling without any sort of firm concrete evidence. It's just a feeling you get is like, this is going to work from the sense of you got a bunch of older guys who are out to, kind of accomplish they have a common goal that is very easy easy to identify if that makes sense and it all starts monday mark it all starts in nashville tennessee seven o'clock monday night right yeah all right so give us a give us a preview of vanderbilt mons real quick what should we expect from vanderbilt when memphis uh plays in nashville monday night good team uh jerry stackhouse um you know, has them moving in the right direction. I think a lot of people thought that it might uh, come together a little bit quicker than it has, but uh, he has, I mean, under him, uh, Vandy has shown steady progression. And that's, you know, that's that's fine. You know, that's good. And and I think this year is going to be more of it. Now, the, the trick is going to be Vanderbilt is they lost – Scotty Pippen Jr. He was he was their their dude last year. I think he I was looking at some numbers yesterday and he he played somewhere like 84% of the minutes that he could have played. Um mm. he he his his offensive production accounted for almost a third of the entire team. Um that's a lot to lose in one fell, you know, just like by removing one person from the equation. Uh so that is going to be something that's that is going to be a challenge, I think, for this mm-hmm. team. But uh, they got a guy, uh, Jordan Wright. He's like I think he's like six 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 seven. Um, he plays on the wing. He was their second leading scorer a year ago, and uh, I think he's going to be their best player this year. Um, 
the reports out of their last super secret scrimmage. They had two of them. They lost in Atlanta to Georgia Tech. Um, mm-hmm. And then they beat Xavier. And by some of the accounts that, that leaked out, it wasn't even really close. Um, mm-hmm. Well, they were they – were, it's interesting. They were picked – 12th out of 14 teams in the SEC preseason poll. So they're not expected to be a tournament team this year. They're 66 in the preseason Ken Palm ratings. Excuse me, 60. Yeah, 66. Um, And they ended last year at 64 in the Ken Palm ratings. They were uh, 19 and 17 overall. Went to the, I believe, NIT um, and lost to Xavier by two. Uh, yep. in the NIT, but uh, it, it's the first of several very interesting challenges for this Memphis basketball team um, where they can, you know, they could really build up a solid resume here in non-conference play. They could also take some L's if they're not playing well. Um, but, I, you know, I, we'll leave it at this. I, I fully expect, I've said this all preseason and nothing has changed my mind from these exhibition games. If Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams are healthy, and this team is a as good a defensive team as I think they're going to be, which is like top ten, top fifteen in the country. I think I think this Memphis team ends up much like last year's team, kind of a an at large team that's in that eight, nine, ten seed range, but they're going to the NCAA tournament for a second straight year. That's what I that's what I expect from this team this year. That's that's my hope for it. What what about you? What's your prediction for this group? That's not that's not you're not saying that's their ceiling in your mind no i'm thinking that's what they end up as i think that's you know like they're not i don't think the ceiling is probably frankly like a second weekend team and you know there's a there's a small enough margin for error where you know if things don't break right you could end up in the nit again um but i think they fall somewhere in between that and they're it's going to be a similar record as last year's team, but maybe a less rocky ride to get there um, because you've got some older guys. Well, I don't want to give too much away. I've been working on uh, every year we do this. Uh, we do like uh, some bold predictions for mm-hmm. uh, for the season, and that's coming out um, next Monday. So I don't want to give too much away, but uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic than you are um, mm-hmm. just because – just because I do feel like, especially if the Marie Franklin gets eligible sooner rather than later, that this team is going to give this this team. I, I I see this team as a little bit better than top ten, top fifteen defensively. I mean the way the way Penny was talking about it the other day. I mean he's had a number one uh, defense in the country before, and not all that long ago. But the way he was talking about. Uh, some of the things that he and the coaching staff have seen in practices um, at the, at the last availability last week before the, before the lane game, like the look on his face was like, almost like it could be better than that team. So, you know, if you, uh, and again, that is a bit of a biased opinion, but uh, I think we've seen enough to, at this point, uh, you know, properly project that this team could be top even top five uh in the country in in defense and if that happens and everybody stays healthy now that's another big key is is making sure everybody stays healthy but if they do um and and you know they start to gel that's the other thing is like penny hardaway's teams are notorious for like not 
not hitting their stride until like January. Well, this is an older team. You know, you think you would think that the learning curve and the gelling process would be a little bit smoother, a little bit faster uh, than than some of these other teams. And if that's the case, then I do I do think that you're looking at, you know, probably a two, three win improvement over last season. Um, you know, not saying there's not going to be bumps in the road. I do. I think that's going to happen for sure, especially if, you know, how the DeMaria Franklin situation plays out. Because even like, let's say he misses the first four games or three games or whatever it is, and then you have to, you have to bring him into the mix, and that's going to take some adjustment. But, uh, but no, I'm I'm a little bit more optimistic, and uh, but but I do I do think that this team is an NCAA tournament team, um, regardless. Yeah, no, it should be a should be a fun ride. Uh, Munz and I will be there uh, for all of it uh, over at commercialappeal.com. We'll both be in Nashville Monday night for the opener, chronicling the action. So make sure you are checking out commercialappeal.com. Munz has a has a piece well worth your time coming out later this week uh, ahead of the season starting. Don't want to give away too many uh, details other than to say you're not going to want to miss it. Um, I'll have coverage leading into the game as well. Um, so make sure you are checking out commercialappeal.com early and often. Um, I can't wait for the season to start. Um, get, you get all these things going at once. Uh, Memphis football, Memphis basketball, the Grizzlies. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. It's busy, but it's fun. Um, so we're really looking forward to it and we hope you'll, uh, check out our, or keep, continue to check out our coverage. Till next time, that was Jason. I was Mark. Thanks so much, and uh, come say hi in Nashville if you're uh, making the trip over for the season opener. The Tiger Basketball Podcast is a production of The Commercial Appeal.